Welcome to the SXU Business Roundtable, a discussion-based program featuring St. Xavier University faculty and business members from the local community discussing the current state of business, its impact on the economy, and the future. Please welcome your host, Ian Hand. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the SXU Business Roundtable. My name is Ian Hand, and I am here with Suzanne Cromlish, a.k.a. Miss Chirpy, soon-to-be Dr. Chirpy. How are you doing today? I'm doing great today, and I love teaching at SXU. That's fantastic. So just give a little bit more of an introduction about yourself and how you became interested in studying insurance, healthcare, and its effects on the business world. Okay, well, I am an assistant professor at the Graham School of Management, and I fell in love with SXU because of their Sisters of Mercy values. I'm a, I'm a preacher's daughter, and these values just fit right to my the core. My husband and I had a na- nationwide business for 15 years, and we're going fine, and my mother had a massive stroke. And when your mother has a massive stroke, it changes your whole perception on things so i we gave up our business and we took care of her for two years and after we took care of her for two years i started thinking about health care and uh took a job in a nursing home and loved it because i had taken care of my mother and i was in the same environment and wheelchairs and and uh, climbed all the way to the top became the nursing home administrator and uh, I had three department heads positions before I became the full administrator to be the CEO of the nursing home. Then I got to, uh, I wanted to beef up my resume, so I be, so I went into the assisted living industry and, be, and obtained my assistant living administrator's license and worked for a nonprofit firm that was church-related. And we had an office building. We had an event center for community events. We had independent living apartments for seniors, and we had an assisted living facility. And I was the campus administrator, administrator for the entire campus. So really got into healthcare and knew the ins and outs of it and saw the difference between, because I worked for for-profit firms when I was a skilled nursing home administrator and I worked for a nonprofit firm when I was the assisted living campus administrator. So I saw the difference between for-profit and nonprofit. And personally, I think all of our healthcare should be nonprofit because we're, we should focus on the cause instead of the profits. So that's what got me into healthcare. So then uh, SXU had a visiting professor position, and I got that position, and it's now turned into a tenure-track position, and I got that. And well, the mission of SXU is to do something with healthcare. We'd like to have in the future an undergraduate degree and then possibly have a master's in health administration. We already have an MBA now with a healthcare concentration, in it so and that's going very well so it's just a logical logically a next step for SXU so it gives me an opportunity to make a positive impact on the university that I love all right that sounds fantastic really great story so we're talking about the Affordable Care Act today so just a nice two-part question so what is the Affordable Care Act since a lot of Americans are kind of confused about it since they believe that and Obamacare are two different things when they're actually one and the same correct and also What makes it so controversial? Okay, great questions. Well, first of all, Democrats promised too much from the ACA, and they they paid the price. The Republicans have now done the same from the White House on down, saying everyone's going to be covered and it's going to be cheaper and better. And then they say, oh, well, what we really mean is everybody's going to have access to something. 
So the GOP promised a swift repeal. We'll have a bill by January 20th. Then it was February. Then it was March. And then 64 days, April. And so leaked, uh, leaked record, recordings were leaked. And uh, that recognized, Republicans recognized that this is a, this is a technical, this is complex. And so it's, now it got contentious. They were, Republicans were like, hurry up and repeal the thing. Whoa, let's slow down and get it right. Complete repeal. Worry about replacement later. We must replace at the same time we repeal. So why is all of this so difficult? The ACA is a massive piece of legislation, and it affects 20% of our economy. How many industries can you say affects 20% of our economy? 20 million people got coverage, and they need to be protected. So everyone agrees that the ACA is wounded, but it is not broken. It needs some fixing, but it does some things well. But the GOP doesn't want to fix it to look too much like the ACA. They want to look at it. They want it to look different, but that means messing with what's working well. So here's where we are. Um, the GOP bill provides large tax breaks for insurance companies who pay their CEOs over five hundred thousand a year, which is interesting. It also defunds Planned Parenthood and eliminates abortion federal funding. The good thing about it is that the pre-existing conditions remain because everyone wants that to occur. If you have a pre-existing condition, you should be able to have access to insurance. You should be able to have insurance. So, but however, the GOP scrapped the individual mandate which funded the other parts. The massive tax cut for the wealthy households and the powerful corporations in the U.S., that is in the GOP plan. So the lower and the middle income will lose health insurance coverage to make up for the lost tax cuts. So the Affordable Care Act fi was financed by major tax increases on wealthy households. And the GOP is targeting to repeal these taxes. The 400 wealthiest households will see annual tax cuts of $7 million, which that money was going to fund the ACA. So 160 million households with incomes below 200,000 will get nothing from this. The, another thing that the GOP did was they, sh they were shrinking federal obligations to Medicaid as much as they can. So by 2020, the 31 states, first of all, expanded Medicaid uh, to 10 million low-income people. Medicaid is for the low-income people. By 2020, the GOP was cutting that Medicaid expansion. Half of these states now have Republican governors who wanted to keep the Medicaid funding for their constituents. So that is causing a huge tension in the party. So the conservatives want to cut the Medicaid, but the Republican governors want Medicaid expanded so put to cover the people in their state. So that's why the Republicans were walking a huge tightrope. Republicans want to push this, want to want it to push this bill before the, the Congressional Budget Office, the CBO, had a chance to score it with costs and coverage. They wanted to get it all passed before, you know, let's don't look at the nitty gritty yet. <laughs> let's get it passed. So the ACA created tax cuts or subsidiaries to income adjusted. In other words, it was like a financial sliding scale. So the ACA is that we said before, it does affect 20% of our economy. Just think about it. Businesses are providing health care for their employees, 
healthcare providers like doctors, hospitals, physical therapy clinics, individuals, 20 million people got coverage that didn't have it before. So the GOP has a flat tax tax credit based on age. So the support is less for the people who need it most. So the ACA people will not be able to afford the GOP plan and the individual mandate for everyone to have health insurance is not there. Now, in under the ACA plan, the individual mandate was least popular was the least popular thing in the Obamacare package. The tax penalty for individuals was $690 a year if they did not have insurance. But the ACA was using that to fund the other parts of it. So the GOP plan is if you don't buy coverage, you pay zero. However, if in the prior 12 months, more than you went more than 63 days without health insurance, when you buy the health insurance, you will pay 30% more. Now, however, that 30%, where's that 30% going? In the GOP plan, that 30% is going to the insurance company, not the government. So in the ACA, the individual mandate was going to the government to fund the rest of the ACA, whereas the GOP plan, the 30% more is going to the insurance companies which we've already learned that they have large tax breaks who pay their CEOs over 500000 a year. So that was very interesting. So there's no hardship exemption. So the ACA maximum penalty is $690. That went to the government to help fund the, GO, the GOP plan goes to the insurance companies, which we already said. Now, if we, if we look at reproductive rights, uh, the GOP completely eliminates Planned Parenthood funding which is uh, for abortions. And the, there's two GOP senators we knew that were never going to vote for this. And um, the whole bill, the whole GOP bill, is 66 pages long. Now, what is interesting about this bill is that seven pages of it ex- are, totally, are totally devoted to people who win the lottery. If you win the lottery, you're, you're excluded from this. So more than 10% of the bill is devoted to people who are winning the lottery. Uh, What kind of a picture is that? (laughs) Okay, so the results. um, The financing of the ACA reduced Medicare payments to the hospitals. So the hospitals are giving up $350 billion over a 10-year period because Obamacare did reduce the Medicare payments. So now the end of the hospital industry is deeply alarmed. If you're taking that money away from us, we want it back. So you see how the how there's that's the reason it caused so much uh, contention. So it's it's also there's also an age rating, which is interesting. The ACA created tax cuts uh, with a, on a financial sliding scale based on your income, which most people think. Are, is a fairer way to do it. However, let's look at what the GOP is doing. They're proposing tax credits, a flat tax rate. If you're in your 20s, if you're in your tw- you're 20 years old, you're going to get a $2,000 tax credit. If you're in your 60s, you're going to get a $4,000 tax credit. And the maximum for a family is 14000 So the support is less 
for the income that people that need it most. So millions of Americans will be uninsured, and the GOP is busy repealing each and every tax credit that the ACA had. Okay, so how does the ACA impact the overall economy of America? Well, the the ACA is huge. As we said, it, it affects 20% of our economy. So it is a huge, it is, it is just a huge aspect of our economy. In my personal opinion from studying this, and when I got my master's in health administration, my husband and I went on a master of health administration tours to Canada, Germany, and Austria. And we studied their health insurance plans and their health insurance, you know, policies for the country. And these European countries do so much better than America. They cover everyone, everyone, but it's it's more of a communal culture, whereas America has an individualistic culture. You know, if I don't have health care, I have health care, but I don't care if you don't have it. You're supposed to get a job and get it. But then the employers can't afford to offer it. So it's um, and but what these other countries do that America needs to do is focus on prevention. If you if you focus on prevention, it cuts the cost tremendously. And America has a uh, we're spending three times as much on health insurance as all of these other countries. And we're not covering everyone, which is ridiculous because we have wonderful models right there in front of us to copy. So what we really need is a single-payer source. You think about it. If Medicare could go out and off and have bids, like other corporations do, on all of the drugs that they need for how many elderly people are taking cholesterol-reducing drugs, okay? If they could go out and get bids from three different pharmaceutical companies and get the lowest bid, how much money would we save? We have a single, we had a single payer source if Medicare was expanded to everyone. So my personal opinion is that Medicare should be expanded to everyone. We should have a single payer source for all of these things. That's what these other countries do. And Canada um, takes into consideration the population of each of their provinces and the, the province with the largest population gets the most money. So it's fair. And let's say, um, let's say Canada decides that they're going to upgrade all their MRI machines. Okay, so this is how Canada would do it. They would go out to bid to the MRI companies. They would send a bid out to all of the MRI companies saying we want to upgrade our MRI machines all over the country. So they would get bids from everyone. Maybe they would do this over a five or ten year period. So can you imagine what pricing they would get for these MRI machines? Because one vendor is going to cover the entire country. Whereas, and how do we do it in America? Well, this hospital down the street's got to open the MRI machine. Well, we got to have one too. So we got to buy one. <laughs> so the hospital's going to buy one. So when they, they go out to bid, what kind of pricing are they going to get? They're going to get a higher price because they're only buying one machine. But the way that we're set up, it's, just, it's kind of like our system needs to be pulled up by the roots and started all over. And it's very difficult because we, are, we have President Nixon to thank for this. 
but he is the he is the president that made our health care for profit. In the very beginning, our counties owned our hospitals. Every county had a hospital, and it was county-owned. But we have President Nixon to thank for this profit market that we're in right now. So you mentioned a lot of the single buyer source. What would be a good example in America for a single buyer source? Well, it would depend on the pharmaceutical, the pharmaceutical companies would be bidding on whatever usage Medicare would have. Medicare would, if we expanded Medicare to everyone, which is what I think we should do, then Medicare would have a lump sum of, let's just take a drug out of the, pick a drug out of the air that people use all the time, Lipitor. Okay, it's a cholesterol-reducing drug. It works really well. So Medicare would have a huge sum of these Lipitor pills that they would be purchasing. So the bid would go out to three or four or five pharmaceutical companies. Whoever had the lowest bid would get the business. So do you think the pharmaceutical industry would like this kind of a system? I don't think they would. So... Not at all. And then the and in the European countries, the doctors are paid less. So the American Medical Association, the AMA, they don't want to. They don't want universal coverage like these other countries have. Our system needs to be pulled up by the roots. But that is my personal opinion. There's a lot of people who would disagree with me, which is fine. It's a it's a tough question to answer mm-hmm. either way. So we talked a little bit about the repeal and the replacement plan. So now that they're talking about doing it again, we just mentioned it this morning. So if the Affordable Care Act gets repealed and a second plan goes through, what could that impact be on the overall U.S. economy? Well, I hate to say this, but only God knows the answer to that question. Because look what we're dealing with in Washington. Things change every week. We have a new executive order coming out every day. (laughs) Maybe not every day. But on the whim and possibly there's a lot of people that think there's not enough collaboration with the experts before these executive orders go out. So, I mean, only God knows what these people are going to come up with. So, Hopefully it's something good. So we talked a lot about how healthcare matters and how it's tied to the U.S. economy. And you then mentioned that Nixon kind mm-hmm. of made it a little mm-hmm. bit for profit. Mm-hmm. Do you know the origins on why it became so crucial and so tied up to the U.S. economy? Like, what what was the idea behind all that? Actually, um, I think if you ask me what really needs fixing in America, in my personal opinion, it's campaign finance reform. Because our senators know that when they get elected, they want to stay at that position. So to stay at that position, they need money for their campaigns. So they're all out um, fundraising, constantly fundraising. And who has the money? You know, do you or I or students at SXU have money to give these senators to be reelected? So they go to the corporations. So the corporations are giving the senators the money to get reelected. And so that's where that's where Congress gets their money. When it comes time to vote, it's easy to, ooh, I need to vote for that corporation, don't I? Or do I really need to vote for my constituents? Or do I really need to vote for that corporation? I need that money for my next election. <laughs> so term limits would be fabulous. If we could have term limits for, for our elected officials, And if we could somehow get money out of the way of legislation, passing legislation, that would be phenomenal. But since I've worked 
in both for-profit and nonprofit healthcare sectors, I can say that the nonprofit is fabulous. The model that the nonprofits use is so much more advantageous for care than the for-profit. When I worked for for-profit nursing homes, all they cared about was how many people do we have in the nursing home? What are, what are our numbers tonight? How many heads are in the beds? Because that's how they got paid. At midnight, if we had, we had to go take a census of the entire building, and if everyone was in, their head was in the bed at midnight, we got paid more. So all they cared about was the empty beds. What they just wanted us to admit people. They didn't care whether they were mentally ill or whether they were um, a substance abuser. So we were trying to admit all these people to make our corporate numbers, but it was wearing out our staff. Because if you, if you admit someone who is mentally ill, they're going to be walking around the halls, wandering in other residents' rooms, and they're liable to be attacking other residents. This exact situation happened at our nursing home. We admitted someone who was a substance abuser, and, we, and he was suffering from um, hallucinations, and he threw his walker at another resident. And we ended up having to take him to the emergency room and the police department declaring he was un- incompetent. So you don't have the staff to watch out for those people, but yet the corporation wants you to fill the building. So it's really, it's, it's a really fine line that's a difficult walk. Whereas when we became, when I went to the nonprofit sector, it was all about care. It was church affiliated. They had the Sisters of Mercy values. And it was, they even had a, a, a minister on the corporate payroll who would, who would walk around in the buildings and pray with the residents. I mean, that would never happen in a for-profit corporation. When we designed the budget for the nonprofit organization, it was like, okay, okay, Suzanne, we want to pay our people. We want to overstaff to make sure we take care of our residents. And we just want to make a little bit of money at the end. And it was just a perfect situation. And with the nonprofit versus the profit, they were all about the money and uh, cut here, cut your budget here, cut your nursing, cut your hours. And so we, they would still want us to admit all these people for the for, in the for profit. They would want us to admit everyone. And then they would cut my nursing budget. So that means less people are walking the halls. My labor for nursing, which is the highest item on the budget for uh, health care, is your labor your nursing labor hours. And so they would cut my hours so I would have less people walking the halls. Then they would wonder, well, why are you having so many accidents? Why are your residents breaking their bones? Well, you took away my eyes on the hall. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so it's just a, a complicated, complex industry. But my personal opinion is it should all be nonprofit. It sounds like a good opinion. I hope others can agree with you in the future. So speaking of the future, what do you see as the future of U.S. healthcare? maybe like five, 10 years down the road or even in a couple of months? I really do have no way to answer that question because I had no idea that the GOP plan was going to be what it was. (laughs) (laughs) That's a tough question because I really have no clue. You really can't uh, predict what this administration is doing just by the last hundred days, what we've had, we've had 
legislation or executive orders on a whim and without proper uh, collaboration with the experts in the field. And so my solution is to pray. (laughs) (laughs) But I do... I do think that all of our in, definitely all of our insurance companies should be nonprofit. Now you you think about it. If an insurance company is for profit, which a lot of them are now, then if they have to pay out if you break your leg and you have to have surgery, then they have to make they have to pay out a claim for you. So they behind closed doors, they view that as a loss. They don't view that as a cause to help the help Uh, the country and the other countries that we were talking about before the European countries they have a communal view they are willing to sacrifice some of their income for everyone to have health insurance because they want to be proud of the country and they want the country to be productive and if ever just think about it if everyone has insurance then you're going to go to the doctor And you're going to find the lump in your breast. You're going to have the mammogram. You're going to find the lump, maybe have a lumpectomy before it gets to be a mastectomy. So, and if you, if everyone has insurance, it's prevention. It's got, prevention is the only key to, to insurance costs, healthcare costs getting lower. Prevention is the only key. Let's just say how many, how many, how much of our population is over fifty. So if you have insurance, you're going to go get a colonoscopy. If you don't, you're not going to have one. So um, if you don't have one, then you get colon cancer, and then we've got all that surgery, which could have been avoided. It's so more expensive not to cover everyone. <laughs> and another problem that we have is our administration costs. They're 43% of our health care costs is going to administration. It's not like that in those other countries. In France, they carry around a little card with all of their health care information on it. Whatever doctor you go to, give the card to the doctor. He knows everything about you. So it's just, we're just so complicated over here. It really does need, we've got perfect models to follow in other countries. And I was, uh, when my husband and I were on that healthcare, those healthcare trips in Austria and Germany and Canada, we asked the normal, the normal lay people. Sure, we were hearing uh, lectures from CEOs. We toured major hospitals. Uh, we toured trauma centers. We got information from the top of the healthcare chain. But when we would go out to dinner, and we would go out shopping, we would ask the people behind the counters, what do you like about your health insurance? What don't you like about it? So we asked a waitress in Canada when we were out eating. She said, the worst thing about it is I have to pay for parking. And then my husband and I were staring at each other. You are kidding me. <laughs> and and uh, I was just thinking about all the Americans who were on unemployment that didn't even have health insurance. And she's worried about paying for parking. She ha- she went to the hospital and had a baby. It didn't cost her a dime. But it's because the Canadian people, they don't mind taxing their income because they want their country to be productive. I heard an interview with a healthcare executive in Germany, and he said, we want to be taxed because we want our country to be productive. Just think how productive everyone would be if they had all these preventative measures being taken care of in their life. 
So if you have health insurance, you're going to go to the doctor and you're going to find these things out early and you're going to be able to have prevention methods implemented into your daily routine. On this interview with the CEO in Germany, they were talking about him about, but everyone has to pay, but it costs everyone, you know, everyone is being taxed from their income. And he said, I do not want to be a rich man in a poor country. Is that where we are headed? I hope that the future of healthcare changes. Thank you very much. We all do. Thank you for having. It was a great opportunity. Go Cougars! Thank you for listening to the SXU Business Roundtable. The SXU Business Roundtable was produced and hosted by Ian Hand. Julie Gardner is the strategic director. The executive producers are Peter Creighton, director of student media at St. Xavier University, and Dr. Anthony Campbell, Vice President for Student Affairs at St. Xavier University. For more information on St. Xavier's Graham School of Management, please visit www.sxu.edu, keyword Graham School. For more information on the Chicago Southland Chamber of Commerce, please visit chicagosouthlandchamber.com. To listen to the complete archive of the SXU Business Roundtable, search iTunes by typing in WXAV. You can also visit our SoundCloud account, soundcloud.com slash WXAV883. Thank you for listening to the SXU Business Roundtable.